episode of Avatar The Last Korra. Uh, Nuktuk, hero of the South. We're doing uh, we're doing Korra and uh, Avatar, but yes. we're also doing propaganda. Yeah, so, you know, as we wrap up season one of, of Avatar and continue deeper into uh, Korra season two, Spirits, um, now we get to talk about war profiteering and propaganda, and it's fun. Right, guys? Uh, it's going to get a little bit more complicated plot-wise in Korra, um, even more than we were used to dealing with in book one. Uh, but, like, I don't know if it really adds anything dramatically. Well, let's 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 take a closer look. I think no. this one requires some dissection. Di- some dissection. <laughs> I, I would agree. And um, I think, you know, going off of what we were talking about last episode about sort of the abandonment of themes in Korra's, um, I think it's just an interesting contrast to have Avatar sort of wrapping up its season one themes um when lots of thematic unity there yes tons tons of it but then we have Korra that's just like nope we're just really gonna dig into the i last time you called it the um iraq war metaphor of it all right like it's just really getting getting deeper in there uh so so let's do it let's dig in with uh what is this episode five six peacekeepers Episode five. Episode five. Keepers. So yeah, so they took my advice uh, to do more Bolin and Varric and less Bolin and Eska, but uh, now they introduced this new love interest, and now the joke is just recurring that Bolin is unlucky in love with Cora, yeah. Eska, and now Ginger, the movie star who doesn't like him at all, and. Yeah. Now he's a creep. Yep. So, so great. You're not allowed to like anyone in the show when it yeah, comes to Yeah, everyone just sucks. Like, yeah. why? Who are you supposed to connect to? Literally, like, no one. Everyone. I guess so Asami bad. doesn't do anything wrong in this season. Oh, uh, she does oh, an annoying kisses... thing next episode. Yeah. In, yeah. In the sting. Uh, but we'll, get, we'll fucking <sighs> yeah, get so to that. Yeah. Just no one's likable. No one's likable. Um. And also, you know, Asami's, the most likable, and he's a bad guy. <laughs> Asami's struggles aren't really that relatable either. You know, like that's they're, true; they're, they're not relatable. But at least they're, they're at least she sad. has goals, and yeah. at least she has goals, and she's setting out to to accomplish them. Right. And you know, they require her to make an effort and grow and change as a character. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Bolin. We've discovered his secret talent, which is that he's great at, at uh, getting fan love from from his wonderful fans of Republic City. Uh, woo! I thought that was a funny scene. I, I thought did. Th- that's like really well done. No, you didn't like it. No, I did. Oh, sorry, I misheard you. Yeah. Um. I I think it's like total true commentary that I. I think audiences at this point are sort of meta enough to to understand, but still are subject to it where, you know, lots of comedians will be like, hello, Cincinnati. And they'll be like, I got you. Like, all I have to do is yell Cincinnati and then everyone will cheer and I'll have the best show ever, you know? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. But we're still going to cheer every time you say Cincinnati, you know? Like, well, I just liked, I just like bowling going like, yeah, I kind of, you know, I broke up with my girlfriend and I'm feeling (laughs) a little depressed right now. But I'm just so excited to be back in Republic, Republic City. City. 
like that's great. I, I I respect that, and I wish that he would show more vulnerability, like mixed with kind of just blind optimism. You yeah. know, I think that's like Bolin could be a not annoying character. Right. I, I, think, I think that's where his strengths lie and that's where you know you can get potential like ability and especially by the fact that like he is blown off by Mako and a lot of the other members of the cast a lot and I think like you know you you could do something interesting with that but they don't you know they just I I just think like was there anything in season one that made you think like oh Bolin he's really egotistical and sort of self-important no, like the opposite. I didn't really think so either. He's like very humble and yeah. kind of a rube, a lovable rube. And but I think maybe that's, that's why he's lovable. Right. And I, I think for this one, they're sort of saying, oh, fame is bad. You know, like that's their message. Because it makes you egotistical. Right. But it kind of happens overnight. It's like yes. Mako like, says he doesn't have time to help with his relationship problem or, or like give him something him. to do for the mission right. so then he goes and becomes a, a movie star mover star um yeah. and then immediately is like oh I'm so hot oh my god my fans love me oh my god i can get any girl i want because i'm <laughs> nuck tuck yeah uh it's 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 weird it's not great um some of the nuck tuck stuff is kind of funny and i do enjoy it uh, I think it works because it's not parodying anything like that the writers don't fundamentally understand. Right. Like the problem with all their commentary on like the Civil War aspect is because it's like talking about the Iraq War, which they seem to have not a fundamental understanding of how that happens. Right. Like, you know, in terms of the history of it. Um, but they do understand America produced propaganda films during World War II where you would have, like, Captain America or whoever, like, bursting in to punch Hitler in the face. Right. And then he would have, like, either magical powers or evil robots that would attack our heroes. <laughs> like, right. you know, things and that he doesn't really have, but that would be funny if he did have. Right, right. And that, you know, turns Hitler into a joke. You know, like, the all the Disney, like, Nazi propaganda, like, anti-Nazi propaganda films. Yeah. Um, it also reminded me of, like, Ember Island Players, which was also oh, yeah. very funny. Right. Like, I, I like that. I think, you know, when they're critiquing other media of that sort, I, I think they, yeah. they're they on really solid ground, um, and they know what they're they're doing, and it turns out Right, it's pretty, like, pretty what good. do... What do Breik understand? Oh, <laughs> movies, right? Yeah. I understand movies. Right. What they don't understand is, like, world politics or yeah. cultural specifics or social justice. Like, these things they don't necessarily get. But they right. get movies. And they totally get movies. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to me because I, I feel like in this episode, Varric sort of transforms a little bit into, like, Water Tribe Tony Stark. You know? No, he is Tony Stark because Tony Stark is always is also supposed to be um, uh, Howard Hughes. Is that the right guy? I think the last time I called him John Hughes by accident. No, I think you said um, Howard Hughes. Oh no! You know what? I was trying to say John Hughes in a different in a different episode, and I called him Howard Hughes. <laughs> Got um, it. But yeah, he's he's supposed to be Howard Hughes, and Tony Stark is also supposed to be Howard Hughes, or, or maybe like. Stark Sr. was supposed to be Howard Hughes. Right. But the point is, like, yeah, like a genius inventor guy, but his main thing is that he's just good at marketing, good at business. Right, 
Right. And he's he's good at war profiteering, which is what this one's about. Because uh, Varric is trying to stoke the flames of this war so that Asami can sell all of her weapons and shit. Uh, and also he can make money doing something. I forget exactly what. Uh, maybe also selling weapons. Um, but yeah, like, I think what's Asami's interesting totally is that, into yeah. it. Like, well, yeah, Asami- she's she she runs a weapons company. Like, she, she's got a bunch of mecha tanks. Right. So like, it's the sort of thing where like, yes, we're supposed to feel like sad for her about like her struggling business, but like, it's a struggling weapons business. Like, you can only kind of feel so sad about that. I think. Here's like, the thing. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I really care about her business, and so I'm mm-hmm. fine with it shutting down in the next season, I think. In the next um, episode. In the next episode. But, I mean, she doesn't, like, bring it back or anything either. Right. Like, now the fully functional future industries. Now we get to really see how she runs a company as a CEO capitalist. Right, like, it uh, seems like all she does to run this company is, like, have weird meetings where she, like, begs people for money and business, which is, like, not a great way to run a business, you know? She goes on business trips, yeah. So, we've talked about Varric a little bit, we've talked about Bolin, we've talked about Asami. Let's talk about let's, my cop, Mako the cop, Mako the about... cop, he's a cop on the edge, he's Mako the cop. <laughs> That's my theme song for the Mako the Cop procedural that I'm pitching. Uh, I love it. It's going to um, be on Netflix. It's going to be great. We should, uh, we should get a clean that, take I mean, terrible. of that uh, and, and use it every time we talk about Mako the Cop. I think put that was some, clean. Put some sirens um, in. I think that was clean. Uh, yeah, Mako is around here. He's being a cop. He's doing investigative work. Like where he, he gets, like he saw somebody. He at gets a terrorist off the attack. ship. Yeah, yeah. He, he sees someone at the terrorist attack, but like he gets off the ship that arrives back in like the dock, and fucking uh, Bay Fong is just like, "Get back to your desk, rookie. Thanks for starting a civil war, Avatar." And it's just like. She didn't really start it, I would say. You know, like... No, she did. She fucked up real bad. I mean, she fucked up real bad, but, like, definitely a civil war was probably gone happen. Like... I I think it probably would have, but she was the only one who could open the portal, as we later find out in this episode. Um, And she did it literally because uh, her, her creepy evil uncle was praising her too hard. Um, and so she just like was like, I'll do whatever you say, and then opens up a portal, uh, right? Thus giving him reason to invade their their, you know, entire <laughs> country. I guess, but I feel like he would have invaded Spirit Portal or no, you know. Oh yeah. Like like it's it's really just an excuse. Like I I don't know. I think it's a little bit simplistic to just blame Korra for the Civil War. Um. And, but yeah, then, like, no, also, I, I, you, know. you know, she's technically, I would say, doing the right thing by supporting the fact that, basically, her tribe is being annexed by the Northern tribe. Okay, well, tribe. Let's, let's, let's break this down a little bit, because she's not doing the right thing. I would think okay. that if I were in this situation, and I had just completely supported an evil dictator coming to power... Um, and then once realizing I'm wrong, I would not then immediately switch to, okay... 
now I definitely know I'm on the right side. I would probably go like sort of a route of like, let's see if we can undo some of the bad shit that I did first, and then we'll worry about like getting the bad guy and and, and all this other stuff. But what's like, the other? She bad goes from shit? being absolutely certain. She goes from being absolutely certain that Unalak is a good guy to being absolutely certain that he's an unredeemable villain. Like in two I mean, seconds. Sure, sure, but like. From an outside perspective, like, it, I feel like supporting the people who are in a place versus the invaders is, like, a pretty normal thing to do, maybe? Right, that's pretty normal. I'm just saying the the idea to be like, okay, now let's, I'm immediately going to be like, we're not doing diplomacy, we're not doing, you know, sanctions. We're not doing anything rational or like kind of, you know, kind of non-risky. We're going to immediately right. like get the U.S. involved by doing like a false flag sort of like um, convincing them to swim into dangerous occupied territory and get blasted so that they have an excuse to retaliate basically doing like the u.s main or like what trump's doing now with these like shooting down drones and shit right i mean yes like that's not i'm not saying the way she's doing it is good but i i think <laughs> like like i don't know mako is just like well you can't support the southern tribe that's not neutral and like everyone just keeps saying the avatar has to be neutral and it's like no the avatar has to maintain balance which sometimes means supporting one side or another you know like it, i mean just, that's true i, I mean like, like the, the problem isn't that she's being like too uh biased the problem is that she's being incredibly rash and right like not considering the like political ramifications of anything that she's doing. Right. But everyone just keeps being like, God, Corey, you're so biased. Why can't you be more neutral? Why can't you hear both sides of the issue? And it's like, that's not the avatar's job. Like Aang's job wasn't just sit there and hear the fire Nation's side as they like took over the entire okay. world. But, but the con context is everything, Hannah. Mako wasn't saying that in regards to uh, Korra saying that we should get support for the, the Southerners. It was when she said, obviously the Northerners blew up that place. There's no, no way no, it was no. a false flag. He says, this, he says this right off when they get off the boat and like Beifang is like, Mako, go work security for this like parade, that's this protest that's going to happen. And Korra's like, I'll go lead the protest. And Mako's like, are you sure that's a good idea? It's not very neutral of you. And she's like, fuck you. I'm going to do that. Like, oh, that's, that's right. A but, but he was talking about, he was talking about like how it would be perceived and like, sure, but like, I think more than anything should still be, I mean, again, the avatar's allowed to like fucking pick a side. Right. But I mean, like if she does, like all she's going to end up doing, and this does happen is that like the president starts to hate her. And then like everyone in the United States starts to hate her. And you know, like they're not very helpful at all in resolving the conflict because sure, but she I, establishes I, a clear, clearly that she, you know, is not doing this out of some like benevolent thing, but just because it's like, it's my family, right. which is not very avatar like at all. Sure. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I still hold that, like, everyone keeps telling her, oh, you've got to be neutral. But it just means, like, no, 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 don't oppose me and what I want to happen. And yeah, I, 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 I do. I do have. Yeah, it is pretty gross to be like, be neutral when we clearly know who the villain is at this point. Right. But it's I just, just think, like, the so bigger insidious. problem is just that Korra has no 
has no patience for anyone Correct. and just has has no ability to go through like the proper legal channels to get these things yeah. done. Uh, she just wants to blow shit up. Yeah. And that's not really hasn't really helped her in the past and won't help her here. So yeah. she goes directly to General Iroh, who is like instantly ready to commit treason. <laughs> yeah. Like he is all for it. Like, like oh, Cora, you're a close personal friend that I've known for exactly twenty minutes. Uh, <laughs> let us uh, let us commit treason right the fuck now. Let's do it. And then when he's blocked from committing treason because Mako does the right thing and fucking tells the president that she's trying to commit treason, like, <laughs> well, it's not treason on her part. It's a uh, it's a conspiracy, and I think it's um, uh, what's the word? It's uh, espionage. Because sure, she sure. is trying to coerce a a a, a a military official into committing treason. Sure, so that's, yes. that's espionage. So right. yeah, she's a literal fucking spy. So she's she's definitely in the wrong on that. And Mako does the right <laughs> thing in telling the president. And we'll get to what the re- repercussions of that are. Um, but she like, <laughs> oh man, she just like. She immediately, the, the General Iroh is immediately like, oh, sorry, bro, I can't help you anymore. But you know what you should do? You should definitely go talk to the Fire Lord and my mom, because, like, they love the Avatar, man. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, great, I'll just find someone else to be, like, sympathetic to me. Like, he's immediately finding ways for other people to go to war, like, on his behalf, basically. Yeah, well, I guess he's a general. He only sees things in terms of, like, good guys and bad guys and war. I guess. But, like, I mean, General Iroh is just such a shitty character. He's not characterized at all. No. He's just the guy voiced by Dante Bosco in this one. Right. Um, um, what do you think about the, uh, the B plot, or I guess it's like the D plot in, in this episode, uh, where we go, we go back to Tenzin on vacation. Oh yeah. Um, oh God, we never really wrapped that up in the last one, did we? No, I guess we didn't. We'll, we'll cover that briefly. Tenzin finds Iki who ran away from home, uh, because her siblings were bullying her and they have like a tea party to discuss like, well, family means... No one gets left behind or forgotten. Right. Ohana, and you know? they, they literally say the line, um, I think it's like, being part of a family is hard, isn't it? And it's just like, I feel like they could have looked directly at the camera at that point and been like, isn't it, kids? You know, like, it was just too on the nose. Um, so yeah, now we but maybe get... it's a good lesson for kids. I mean, don't bully your siblings. And if you are being bullied by your siblings, you know. Tell someone. Like, you should be able to express those feelings and, you know, you should be able to love them without letting them tease you into oblivion. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so in this one, we get a weird thing. It's where a little Tenzin, more comedy. Yeah. Tenzin's trying to teach, um, Milo how to tr- teach basically how to train lemurs. And it's supposed to be sort of an allegory for him trying to teach Cora, I guess. Um, and the moral of this one is that being the alpha lemur is lonely, and there's alpha and beta lemurs in this world, I guess, in Tenzin's view of teaching. Um, and it's weird. It's weird. I, I just don't see how it ties into the rest of this episode. It doesn't. It's totally irrelevant. It plays nothing into the themes. It's just like, what's Tenzin doing on vacation this week? 
And right, and it's weird. like I get cutting away to a B plot when you're setting up, uh, you know, something else that's going to happen later. Like, you know, that was what we we did last episode when we were talking about Avatar: The Last Airbender, and Zuko got blown up specifically because that was leading into the two parter we're going to talk about this week. Um, but like, Milo training lemurs affects nothing. Right. So, and it doesn't even affect their characters. Like, mm-hmm. it never comes back that like. You know, now Tenzin is going to be less alpha or something. Right, like this. Tenzin doesn't learn anything. He just is like, oh shit, my son's really good at training lemurs. Uh, hey buddy, why don't you just be friends with your lemur instead? And he's like, okay, good, that sounds much easier. <laughs> and like, that's the end of it. Yeah, I didn't think it had to do with him being like a trainer. It had to do more with like him being a parent because this is the like all about Tenzin being a parent. But I guess you're right in that his relationship with his kids even that isn't the end, you know, isn't the, isn't the end. It's still a means to an end storytelling wise because his kids are just a metaphor for Korra. Right. So and like, it's you know, too many levels removed because we're talking about his siblings and his relationship to his father in terms of his relationship to his kids in terms of his relationship to Korra. Right. It's, it's just, it's weird. Um, it's so broken. yeah, but, but the resolution to the whole Korra-Mako thing is Mako finds a clue uh, from the bombing. The clue! It's, it's just a big, like, button-labeled clue. Yeah, basically. Um, where it's this remote detonator, and it'll come back later. And by later, I mean next episode. And, uh, yeah, so... Korra ends up breaking up with, or no, 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 Korra confronts Mako about ratting her out to the president and is really mad, which is a weird thing to have an argument about in a cop station where, like, they could probably arrest you for, like, having done that, you know? Well, she's the Avatar. She could probably bust out. She could, but, like, it's still fucking stupid uh, and rash, which is everything Korra is at this point. Um, And so... She's, like, mad at Mako, and they're both yelling about how they're more focused on their careers, and then Mako's like, then maybe we should break up. And then Korra's really shocked and hurt and sad about that and runs away crying. And it's like, Korra, you should have broken up with him. Like, why are you mad about this? Like, what's happening? If she believes that she's right, she should have broken up with him. But, you know, I think the idea is that she's filled with self-doubt and that she, like, wants her boyfriend to be just, like, supportive of her. But he is maybe rightfully, maybe wrongfully just being like, listen, I I can't be supportive of you right now because the world is at stake. Right. And you're being an idiot. Right, which is, like, fair. Like, Mako sucks, but, like, he's kind of in the right here. You know, like, I'm on Mako's side of this. At least of this, what I what's more like silly is just the fact that he's like he's been working on the force for like six months and he's already like I'm gonna make detective and like chief you gotta see these clues like what the <laughs> fuck are you doing Mako yes. you have nothing you have no evidence of anything it's like what the fuck are you doing but we also just like inherently as a storytelling device like it's so obvious that he's right you know like we wouldn't be spending right. all this time on it if it wasn't right and so like structurally it just sort of falls flat and we like 
end up kind of on his side, but if we like took right. a step back, we to should think just about end it. up hating Lynn, which I do because right. Lynn just like looks at like this thing where he's like, "Hey, I identified this perpetrator at the scene," and she's not like, "Well, we should go find him and like see if we can talk to him and get some like information that. out of him." She's just like, "Shut the fuck up, Mako. You don't know what you're talking about." Get the fuck out of my office. Yeah, and then yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like, weird. Hey, so I which found this detonation some... device that looks like a detonation device, and she's like, "Get the fuck out of! What are you doing? I'm with the president." <laughs> well, and it's also strange because the conversation she's having with the president is basically like, "Get me leads on this bombing case." Right, and, and then he runs in like, and he's like, "I have Mako the detonation device for the bomb." Lead. And she's, and she's like, like, get out of here. You're a beat like, cop. You're not should... detective. You'll never make detective. I'm taking you off this case. You got 24 hours. Oh, God. So, geez. Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, but it brings us to, like, the even fucking crazier episode that is The Sting. Uh, so let's get nucktuckety into it, David. Uh, it's nucktucktastic. No, it's not terrible, which is a literal thing terrible. that this show says at one point in its propaganda film, which I love. Yeah, but I mean, you're supposed to think that's dumb. I mean, it's no, like I Andrew know. Island players. Again, I I love it, but yeah. like, holy I shit. I like the line from Varric. He says, uh, people love stars. They tell people what to think, how to act, yep. et cetera, et cetera. I like that. I like it's kind of commenting on celebrity a little bit, uh, but just barely. Yeah, because because Bolin is always used by the villain to convey some kind of evil plot. It, yeah. it happens here. It'll happen. It'll happen in book four. But uh, for now, at uh, least it's a little bit more humorous. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it makes a little bit more sense, at least, where it's like it. It's weird that he gets all in his head and sort of like egotistical about it and Yeah, but like, it's believable that he would be excited to be a movie star. Right, right. Like that that tracks, I think. Um yeah. but so, you know, oh shoot, there was one last thing from uh Peacekeepers. <laughs> so the evil twins, uh Eska and Desna or whatever, get sent mm-hmm. after um Cora uh to like bring her back alive but right. as they're chasing her and she's running away all sad from the breakup to somewhere question mark it's not really is she going to the south pole or i thought like, she was going to the fire nation oh is that where she's because, going because that's where she ends up and also that's where iroh told her to go okay. but it's not well conveyed because this th- this episode in particular i think peacekeepers is probably like the most subplots in an episode so I've ever many, seen. So and many then the sting also continues that. It's it's wild. Um and like we'll talk about how you fucking balance like multiple multiple simultaneous plots when we talk about Avatar this episode. Um but it does it pretty poorly in Korra here. Um and so you know yeah, there's she's just no transitions between them and they just kinda like end not on, like, a dramatic point, but just on, like, wherever they decide to end before they switch over. Right. Or it's like, There's okay, no... we're, we're out of dialogue. Time to go away now. Um, yeah. So so she's she's running away. She gets confronted by Eska and Desna. They're, like, fighting. Uh, and then a giant spirit monster comes out of nowhere, and she tries to tame it, but it doesn't work. And then it, like, eats her. 
Uh, and then that's the last we see of Korra until the end of the next episode. And I just want to say the spirit monster looks so fucking Ben 10. I like can't even handle it. Yeah, I don't even know what you're referring to there because I watched all Ben 10 and it didn't look like anything from Ben 10. But really? It definitely didn't look like Avatar to me. It doesn't look like... It just looks like this alien monster. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, it's it's definitely kind of weird and like gooey and like not very well designed. Isn't, isn't, isn't there like a Ben 10 monster that kind of looks like... I don't even know. I, Most I, of Ben 10's enemies are like... Like a guy who casts magic spells or like a squid, a guy with a squid face. Maybe, maybe it looks like, like a, a, a viable, it just feels like of that aesthetic, you know, it feels more in line with something I would see in Ben 10. Maybe that Ben turns into rather than maybe like fucking avatar. Yeah, I'll Um, buy it. But just the fact that it's just like a big goo monster in the ocean doesn't look like avatar to me. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're here. Uh, in the sting, which opens with Varric losing another shipping container, allegedly. Uh, then the evil twins uh-huh. tell their dad that Korra's dead because she got swallowed by a spirit monster uh, as he comes out of a, a portal. Um, and then and then we get just, like, weird shit with Mako. And he's, like, sad about Korra, but, like, not really, maybe... Uh, and he, he finds out that the, the ship that Varric, uh, lost was apparently, there were remote detonations on that one too, maybe, but he's sort of, like, shot down for being a stupid rookie by Lin again, and so then he decides, in the most insane plan in history, to, like, (laughs) get Asami on board, and then hire some fucking gangsters to like set up a bait ship. Yeah, so that the whoever's stealing these shipments will steal their shipment. And then they can catch them. But like in return he's like, "Yeah, we'll restore your leader's bending and also get like give you all these cars and weapons and shit." And it's just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't think that's the kind of deals you should be making, Mako. That being said, I I buy Mako way more as like a former gangster, like a reformed gangster, than as a cop. Oh yeah. Um, like if we just had him never interact with the cops, I think this would be a great plot. Like, like if he was a because PI or if he's something. not a cop, it makes sense that they wouldn't listen to any evidence that he had. Right. And if he's not a cop, he, the only like people with power that he has access to are the fucking mob. Right. And so. I think it'd be way cooler if he was just constantly making mob connections because of his former mob ties. And he wasn't like, he wasn't like a cop, but just like an unemployed former athlete who has stumbled upon a conspiracy to uh, start a war in the South. Right. I mean, I think that's fine. I think, you know, even if you want him to, to be more on the mystery beat or whatever you want, like, again, make him a, like, private eye like it fits in with this like sort of 20s theme that you've got going on yeah, he like could be, he could be he a could pi or or he Mako could be Noir. you know like a like a hitchcockian sort of hero like an right. everyman who gets thrust into a crazy situation totally like i i would buy that so much more but no just why, did, why is he a cop <laughs> it's dumb um i hate it less later but i really hate it here um, so... Because <laughs> this, this is the season where he's literally a cop for the whole I, season. <laughs> I know. I know. 
Uh, it's the only season like that. But yeah, Varric agrees to get in on Asami and Mako's plan. And he says the line, I love being in on plans, but I also love not knowing things. And so, it's very Varric. I thought that was good. It's yeah. very Varric, but it also makes sense for sort of the character reveal that we kind of learn yeah. later. You know, like having that plausible deniability, so to speak. Um, exactly. So... You know, it turns it, out that the reason that the gangsters are on this ship is to just stall Mako and Asami uh, while they go and, and raid Asami's last uh, warehouse full of right. mecha tanks. Yeah. So pretty funny. And then, like, in addition to getting all those mecha tanks, the person responsible, the person who paid off the mob, uh, which is Varric, he also gets to buy out uh, Asami's company on the cheap. So she, he's got all of her assets and then also bought her company. It's great. Right. And then, you know, Mako goes to visit Bolin and is basically like, hi, sorry, I ignored you before, but also like shit's bad. And he's like, wish I could talk, but got to shoot this scene. And it's like in a scene where there's explosions. And Mako's like, whoa, the explosions are just like the other explosions. And turns out... He uses his cop skills, yeah. He uses his, his cop skills to figure out that the remote detonator that they use for the movie explosions, which are Varric TM, whatever his industries are called, Varric Industries, something like that, um, yeah. are, are trademarks, so no one else has them. And they're the same as the bombing in the other place. And so it's Varric. Varric's evil. Uh, right. I mean, it's still not hard proof, but, like, clearly it's enough circumstantial evidence to, like, at least subpoena his company and be like, hey, do you know what happened to all of these mecha tanks? Right. Are they perhaps stored in a Varric? You know, like, what they were doing last season with uh, Future Industries when they had completely circumstantial evidence that he was a terrorist. Right. <laughs> entirely circumstantial evidence based exactly. on Cora hearing yeah. a phone call that is really just normal business talk. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, so none of that happens. Mako doesn't really go to the cops, uh, just, like, gives Varric a look and is like, I'm so close to exposing the real person who did this to you. And Asami's like, great, who is it? And he's like, you'll find out. <laughs> and then, like, walks away. <laughs> well, he doesn't want to, like, get Asami killed. <laughs> and, I mean, like, yeah, Varric but, like... clearly has the ability to get people killed. He, sure. he controls who lives and who dies. Which a, a is why bit. I'm already way more on board with Varric as a twist villain than Unalak. Because Varric yeah. doesn't look as evil, and mm -hmm. his and motivations make more sense. And we liked him. <laughs> He exactly. was a fun character. It's, it right. hurts so, more when he turns out to be evil. Yeah, he's the best twist villain that we've had so far, and so far we've had three twist villains. I mean, like, Amon was kind of a twist, because we find out who he is under the mask. Yeah, And Tarlok, Tarlok was, was a twist. Unalak's uh, sort of a twist? Unalak was a twist. No, Unalak is supposed to be a twist. It just oh, isn't a boy. twist. <laughs> because bad writing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is the best twist villain we've had so far. And like, I'll see, I can't remember exactly where they go with it from here. I think basically, if I recall, he like gets arrested and then breaks out. Yeah. But like, I, I, I feel like something else must happen. There's, there's other things that happen. I'm excited to like, cause I, I had forgotten a lot of this. Like I knew yeah. Varric was evil, but I didn't remember when it happened or how they uncovered it. So like, it's, it's actually been kind of entertaining 
just like rediscovering everything but yeah it's like, pretty it, yeah it's like kind of like almost halfway through the season right now we're, yeah. we're at episode six and it's a, a 12 episode season 13 episode something like matter. that but like yeah we're like all about halfway through because we're about to have this two-parter that's like the midpoint um but like yeah, and now we're finding out like this secondary villain, and I, I think that's pretty cool. It's just dumb that the the way that we found it was Mako is a cop, and it was this complicated <laughs> sting operation. Uh, and Jeez. it was and it was a sting operation that failed. Like it was right. bad. It's just bad. Um, so then Korra wakes up on a desert island at the very end of this, surrounded by people who I'm assuming are supposed to be the fire sages from like the the place where Aang gets his vision back in season one. Um, yeah. And she's got amnesia. She doesn't know who she is or what's going on. I don't on. get this. I don't understand this. This they is so dumb. Amnesia is a dumb, it's like one of my least favorite tropes in general. Um, well, there, I do like it in Spider-Man 3, but I don't like it here. <laughs> I'm very oh inconsistent God. in that way. I mean, here's the thing. I, most people would disagree with you about Spider-Man 3, though, so I feel like we're still pretty in the clear to say that, in general, Amnesia's a bad plot to go to. Like, it's so... Ugh, like, it's just so soap opera-y, you know? But, I mean, here it's just not even, like, the way that Amnesia works. I mean, like, she forgets her own name and, like, all this other stuff that, like, I, I mean, she that's should clearly how... know. That's how people do amnesia shit all the time, though. It's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, But that's not how it works. Usually you just have these, like, these like uh, confabulations where you, you know, forget how you got there or you think it's a different year or, like, you just can't remember how certain events happened in order, but you know that they happened. Right. Like, that's usually what amnesia is. Right. It's not like you just forget everything except how to speak English. But TV writers... You, you don't forget everything about... <laughs> you don't forget everything except for fine dining and breathing. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, except in TV where apparently you do. So we'll see how this <laughs> fucking amnesia shit plays out as we continue... It continue through i really forget what happens i feel like her memory comes back like almost immediately but again i don't remember so we'll find out um let's oh, let's yeah. switch over to avatar though and wrap up book one water with the siege book of the one. north part one and two um where we gonna kill the moon y'all kill the moon kill the moon yeah. highly underrated episode of peter capaldi's doctor who but uh we're not doing that right now. We're not. Um, anyway, uh, Siege so, of the North. That's what we're doing. Yeah. So so this one has like a million and a half different plots going on in it. And like, I feel like they handle it, it pretty well. I feel like it, it's incredibly well handled. Um, and like, it. Uh, after I watched these two parters, I was like, how does... The last Airbender live action movie fucked this up, and then I like <laughs> went and watched it, and I was like, "Oh, because they did everything in the wrong order." Oh, um, really? If they just kept it the same order, like, and actually done the things, it, it probably would have worked, and it, people might have actually remembered it as like not being that bad a movie, because so, almost everything in the storytelling in this episode is done visually. Yes, there's a lot of visual storytelling going on. 
Um, yeah, it's basically so. Okay, I guess yeah. Let's just start at how it starts. So we start off with Katara is now better than Aang at waterbending, and and we get I think like a nice um like line from Master Paku who's basically like. You know, like, you've worked really hard. Your dedication and perseverance have, like, helped you to excel versus, like, just relying on natural talent, um, which is, it's sort of implied that's what right. Aang has been doing. Um, and and I, I like right. that as a continuation of episodes like the waterbending scroll where, you know, Katara will sneak out in the middle of the night to fucking, like, master some waterbending move because she's, like, really committed to it. And, like, maybe for somewhat right. selfish reasons, but, like, she's really committed. Whereas Aang just, like, sort of will, like, get it, you know, in a matter of, like, exactly. minutes. Um, and and I, I like that, that through line. Mm-hmm. And then, meanwhile, we're we're still continuing the uh, Sokka Yue plot, which yeah. uh, because of this episode, I finally my brain clicks and I go, "Oh, this is the first time that Brike tried to do Aladdin." What's the second time? Well, we, we get it in Korra. Remember? Uh, oh. Remember how? We had a whole series of episodes about how Korra yeah. is uh, is a street rat, or Mako's the street rat, yeah. and Asami's Jasmine. Well, but we did that here Korra's too, except Jasmine's for Sokka's best. the street rat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this one, Sokka's the street rat, and Yue is clearly the princess. Yeah. Um, there's I mean, no it's Jafar a... in this one. No. Well, there is a Chad though. There is a Chad. Yeah, it's yeah. Chad Far, yeah, but li- but Sokka literally takes Yue on a whole new world uh, magic magic carpet ride, ride you know, Appa. flying bison ride that that just gets interrupted by Black Snow, which Sokka is kind of like, I've seen this before. It's, right, they uh, didn't have Black Snow in book in in the the pilot, right, in the first episode. They didn't, but I'm gonna assume he said, by the looks of it, there's a lot of them. Um, right, so you need many boats in order to create Black this Snow. This level of Black Snow, yeah. Um, I mean, I just think that is like, this is such good imagery. Like, oh, you yeah. cannot beat this. And I don't know why you would not put this in your movie. <laughs> because it's beautiful imagery that immediately conveys exactly what's happening. Right, exactly. And it's like, ah, this pure, like, driven snow land. And, and like, you get various, like, scenes um, as the black snow is falling um, of the of different places in the North Pole where, like, the water starts turning black. You know, like, this is, like, poisoning yeah. the soul of the North Pole. And, like, that's I mean, powerful. It's just... It does exactly what good imagery is supposed to do. It's complicated and simple. You you look at it and you're like, oh, something's gone wrong because the right. natural order is being disrupted by this. Right. It's it's unnatural. It's unclean. It's dirty snow and it's dirty you know water created by something that's clearly mechanical and it's clearly this huge right. like imposing force because it's literally changing the fucking weather like. There's a lot like, like going on, but it's so simple. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they call a big meeting and it's basically like the time is now. The Fire Nation are attacking. We must stand our ground uh, sort of thing. And yeah, um, and Sokka's the, showing up these fools. Yeah, Sokka is showing up these fools. But I do love that the chief sort of <laughs> is just like, 
some of us may not make it out alive. Like, or some of these faces may disappear. And it sort of flashes onto UA, Master Paku, and then, like, this random dude who we, like, haven't met yet. <laughs> and it's just, like... <sighs> It's like who's gonna die? Like it feels like you know, like that Arrested yeah, it's like Development special, episode, yeah, which was already like, a parody of other episodes that have done that, right? Um, where the advertising is one character will not survive, and it's always somebody that you don't care about, right? So in this one, it's sort of like a, a twofer in that it is someone we do care about, but it's also someone else that we don't give a shit about, um, right? So, ugh, yeah. God, this is just a really bad, like, weekend for the Chief, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's not a good time for him. Not a good time. Um, um, so, you know, Sokka signs up for a secret special, me- like, mission that the Chief is giving, and it turns out that it's being run by Han, who's the, like, bro-y dude that Princess Yue is engaged to. Um, but yeah, turns and he out- keeps calling Sokka Soka, and he keeps calling Admiral Zhao Admiral Choi. Cho, yeah. And, yeah, and he just keeps getting stuff to not wrong. Like him. And and he's got all these like goofy ideas. Like you know, he shows up in this like Fire Nation outfit that's like really outdated, and like Sokka's like showing up everybody else with all his Fire Nation knowledge. And they're like, our first objective is to figure out who their commanding officer is. And Sokka's like, oh, it's it's Admiral Zhao. I know it's it's this guy, <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a good moment. Like I laugh every time it happens. Yeah, it's just this insular community and, like, you know, that they have this rigid, like, class structure. And it's just this fucking peasant, like, showing everybody up because he's the only one who's been outside of the walls of this insular city. But he was the rube, you know, like, you know, not even two months ago. You know, like, back in the (laughs) southern tribe where he was a complete rube, didn't even know what waterbending was, thought it was magic. Right. You know? But, like, you know, he's also the Rube who's now traveled the world. Like he's, Exactly. He's That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it just shows yeah. how much he's gained from his his journeys. Right. Um, and then when he finds out that uh, Chad, I'm just going to call him Chad because yeah. I don't remember his name already. <laughs> That's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, when he finds out that Chad is going to marry UA, then he's like, oh, fuck this bitch. I'm going to beat the shit out of him. Yeah, uh, and and they have a fight, and he gets taken off the mission, uh, but then turns out he was taken off the mission so that he could go protect the princess, uh, which is really just his a... dad. Yeah, the dad is like playing matchmaker. Like, yeah, I don't. Does he know? It's like really weird, uh, but then like it's really just an excuse to get like Sokka, Yue, and Katara all together so that later they can search for Aang as a group. Um, this is but, a, this is a, a true fact. But but it's fine. Um, so you know, Aang is very determined to protect everyone and to sort of make up for missing his own people's genocide. Um, and so he goes and we see a ship and it's hurling fireballs and Aang takes it down with the help of some some waterbenders who show up and they they yeah they. Sp- skewer it on some ice um which is very it's 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 visually similar to the the southern ship that we see taken down um in in the first episode um so there's some nice i think to your point balance there yeah definitely some balance i think to your point about that you keep trying to make about how like ang is clearly killing a lot of people yeah i think this is probably like the best example of it in just this scene where he's taking out ships yeah um 
I think it's like pretty fair to say that it would be hard to solve this problem peacefully where it might not be as hard to solve other problems that he's more conflicted about peacefully. Right. But he's still very clearly going out there and like booting people off of boats into freezing water. Like it's Wearing possible armor. that they survive. I think it's fair to say that like it's like they don't it's... die instantly upon touching the water. Sure. Like they don't immediately instantly drown, but like there's certainly a chance that many of them drown. Right. Uh, Right. And he's extremely complicit in that. So if you want to say that that is evidence that he's like a fake pacifist or something, I I guess that's fine. Yeah. But they're clearly an invading force and there's clearly no way that he can like talk them down or like tie them up. For sure. So he's definitely morally in the right, even if he is, does consider himself a pacifist. Right. Like I, I mean, I'd, I'd agree with Aang's actions, but it just, it always strikes me as strange when he decides to get picky about, like, fighting and killing people or not. I feel like it's typically when there's a giant army invading a group of innocent people, which I don't think is, I, I think that kind of fits with his moral, his his moral code, not not even my moral code, but just his. Sure, you know? sure. Um, so, in, in this one, we find out from Zhao... Um, like, you know, it's daybreak and they're fighting for a while, but then the sun starts to go down and Iroh's like, oh, you know, the waterbenders take their power from the moon, so we should, we should chill out. And he's like, yeah, I'm working on the moon problem. And this is our first yeah. hint that he's got some cooking crazy and Aang comes back after all the fighting and is basically like, holy shit, this was hard. I don't know if I can do this. I'm kind of just one kid. Like, I took out a bunch of ships, but like... Still, there's so many more. Um, so yeah, and everyone's just going like, "You have to. You're the Avatar." And he's <laughs> like, "I can't fucking do it. What do you want from me?" Yeah. And then they're like, "Oh, well, isn't there anything else that the Avatar can do that like a normal kid can't?" can't. And he's like, "Oh, right. I totally I forgot the about the whole bridge world. between the worlds thing." Yeah. Um, and I do love that Ang's like, "Let's do a crazy spirit attack," uh, and everyone else is like. Maybe you can yeah, just get right. some wisdom or whatever. But, like, in the end, it turns out that what they needed was the crazy spirit attack. Well, they needed both, I think, is the, the real key. I guess, I guess. I don't, I don't really know how wisdom <laughs> plays in any of this. Well, he goes to the spirit world to find the, you know, the true identities of the, the moon. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Of the moon and the, and the ocean spirit. Uh, this is the best part of the whole The spirit season. world? Spirit World is so good. It is so and good. And everything that they do in terms of world building is so good here. And it's all just done while the action is happening so seamlessly that, like, yeah. it doesn't even feel like exposition. Mm-mm. It's, it's, it's really awesome. Um, but so, so meanwhile, Zuko's sneaking off the ship to go capture Aang. Um, and we have this really touching moment between him and Iroh where Iroh's like, please be careful out there. I think of you as a son and like... This, that was a little on the nose for me. I mean, like, in most other places in the show, like, people don't just explain their motivations and their relationships with characters. And it, I know, like, but... I mean, even Zuko says, I know, you don't have to say it. But and I he's like, like that I'm he'd... gonna say it again anyway for the audience. I, I like that he does say it, though, because to me it's the sort of thing, like, you know, like... Like, Zuko doesn't get to hear that very often and, like, has this horrible relationship with his own father. And I I don't know, especially considering how their relationship evolves over season two, I think it's important to say it out loud at least once. 
Um, and you're right. But maybe I think it's conveyed without that. When he says stuff like, you know, remember your breath of fire, you know, it might save your life one day. I mean, that is enough of a father-son bond. Like, we, it doesn't need to be spoken in such real, like, obvious words. In fact, it, it's, it's, it would be more impactful once we get to like book three, and he says like he was more of a father than you ever were. Mm. You know, spoilers. But like, yeah, like Zuko says. Iroh was more of a father to me than you were, Dad. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that would have more impact if it wasn't something that Iroh said literally verbatim in an earlier season. I think it's just an example of kids' show syndrome, where you would never put that line in a, in a show for adults. I don't know. I kind of like it. Like, I, I like its inclusion there, and I I, I don't mind it. All it right. doesn't feel... Point of disagreement, that's yeah. fine. It's, it's, um, it's a minor point. Yeah. But like, yeah. I still think it's... But, but it's know. still a good scene, I think, on yeah. the whole. Um, and so Zuko sets off to get Aang, and um, while Aang and Katara and Yue are going to the secret spiritual center of the North, which, like, conflicts with what Korra. is... Korra, like, so hard, I, like, can't yeah. even begin to start talking about it. It's like, well, wait, it. what about the Northern Spirit portal? You didn't think to bring her there, where... Bring Aang there, where he could just literally break it open and walk through? Right! Or, like, the Magic Spirit Forest, where, like, fucking, like... <laughs> Her the spirit literally came out later and killed people. Right. Like, I just, it just seems wild. So, fuck Cora for that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, so, so they're in the, the spirit world where it's this lush sort of greenery in the middle of all of the, like, frozen tundra of the north. Um, and there's well, are, two... I think we're we're in part two now, right? We've, no, we've no, that happens. Two. No, that's still in part one. Um, oh, okay, cause, he goes through. Yeah, because well, he doesn't. He he's he's trying to meditate basically, and then uh, mm-hmm. he notices the fish, uh, sort of forming this form yin-yang, like a yeah yin yang um, pattern, and like that triggers the the avatar state, and he he goes to the spirit world, um, and while he's there. Uh, Yue's like, I'm gonna go get, like, some extra help and protection, but then Katara's like, no, I've got this, bro, and Zuko shows up and is like, you sure about that? And they have another hype fight, which is great, and I love, and Katara fucking kicks his ass a little bit, but then the sun comes up, then we get this great line, which maybe you hate, I don't know, I love it, it's super corny, but it's so good, where... Zuko kicks Katara's ass and manages to get Aang and basically he says, you rise with the moon, I rise with the sun. And it's so <laughs> goofy, but I fucking love it every time. I thought that was pretty fun, yeah. And, and they go and he takes him into snow purgatory uh, out out the back door, basically. Um, right. And then Katara, Sokka, and Yue have to go find him on Appa. Um, yep. While Momo hangs out in the the spirit center um and then that brings us to part two where the sun's up so sun's out guns out the the fire nation is attacking for real they they are within the walls and they're fucking shit up um but ang's in the spirit world and do you want to talk about that since it's your fave 
Oh, the spirit world is so good. I, I'm I'm just I'm the biggest fan of how they do it in this season. And like they don't really I don't think they ever like reach this peak again, like for the, the rest of the show, even in terms of spirit worlding. Yeah. Because it's just this world of like it's the world where all like the stories come from, where mm-hmm. all like the, the legends and the myths live. So you have, you know, talking monkeys and giant wolves that are like huge in the background and just wandering life trees living trees and you know all kinds of things and they just look like this things from storybooks right you know it kind of has that storybook feel to it and it's very Um, eerie as a place it is eerie yeah and it's just this like spirit swamp and and then when we meet uh you know there's like a speck of light that he's got to chase uh (laughs) that that turns into roku and like that's him like supposedly connecting with his internal self through the the spirit world right um which he can only do at like very spiritual locations um like that's that's great like it's kind of in terms of world building like that's a good limiter to put on your main characters that he can't just go into the spirit world and talk to the spirits whenever he has to be in some place very like spiritual during a spiritual time right um but in this case, yeah, he, Roku tells him to go find Ko, the face stealer. Who's awesome. I love Ko, oh the face stealer. Oh, my God. He's just a giant, like, evil centipede with, <laughs> that steals people's faces. Like, it doesn't get better than that. Like, that's a good monster, man. Like, how fucking it's so, creepy. It's so goddamn hero with a thousand faces. It's yeah. so... I mean, it's like, classic. in this case, literally, he has a thousand faces. But, like... <laughs> It's just such a classic hero's journey, like, not even bad guy, just like, like a... Uh, antagonist. I don't know. Yeah, kind of an antagonist. But just the point is that he's like an information giver. He's a trial that you right. have to pass. Yes. And once you pass this trial where you show no fear, then you gain this new information, the, the boon, which you can bring back to the, the, the real world and use it to solve your problem. Right. Like, it's it's a perfect hero's journey kind of moment. He goes literally into a cave in the <laughs> belly of the whale and right. then emerges. Um, knowing more. God, it's so good. It's so good. And you really feel like a sense of threat that like, I mean, like he's going to lose his face. Like obviously he's not going to. Well, and I think, I think it's something that like is, is, um, that, that sense of danger is, uh, helped by the fact that like, Aang is such an, an expressive character, you know, like the animation really helps there. Um, like the fact that like, the point is just don't make a face or Ko will steal your face face right that's just so scary i also think it's really interesting especially um the sort of spiritual journey that ang has to go on in season two that this is actually the first time someone tells him okay in order to solve your problems like you have to be emotionless detached you can't be um material and emotional and like uh, of the world you have to be beyond that um, yeah, but more than anything, I think in this episode, like he's afraid that he can't stop this force that's just too yeah. big for him, and so it's by not showing fear that he's able to sort of overcome, you know, his his fear of being inadequate and, oh, and defeating this evil. Yeah. So, like, even more simply than like what you're talking about, which is true, this is set up for season two, but um, I think it's very I subtle mean, setup. But I, I, it's here's the thing. Setup should work like this, where it's it's right. gesturing at larger arcs that are coming down the line, but that it its relevance is still really pure and essential to this episode, which I think it is, and absolutely. it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
And then, like, we just find out that, like, these two fish in the pond are literally the, like, mortal manifestations of the spirit of the moon and the spirit of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of curious what would happen if you killed the spirit of the ocean. Would it just, like, the ocean would just recede into, like, would, the horizon? I, I don't know. Would desert then? Or, or would the tides just stop? Or would it be unable to that, support That sounds life? like it would make more sense. You yeah, know? like the tides would stop. But like, if you kill the moon spirit in the real world, the moon just disappears. And they just do this great visual thing where yeah. he, they, he puts the Zhao, his plan is to kill the moon. Because so he, he puts he, the moon in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you could see like the color red. of the bag. So it turns the color of the bag is red, and so the moon turns red, and like then the whole world turns red, and it's just such a beautiful like use of color. Yeah. And then they, he kills the moon, and then it turns black and white. Yeah. Like this, like. And the moon goes out, scale. and it's very dark, and like yeah, it, it's so like gorgeous. And then Ang reappears with the spirit of the ocean, and everything turns blue. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm wildin', man. It's, like, the most <laughs> badass, it's the most badass season finale to, like, a cartoon show I've ever seen. It's really good, and it's really beautiful, and it's, it's, it's really, it, it's, like, the show's good, dude. It's yeah, so good. Yeah, I totally forgot how good book one was, because I usually think of it as sort of, like, the forgettable season you know book two is like so much more complex and book three is so much more dramatic so many more emotions in book two but book one sets all that shit up and like it it still has its amazing moments because you know no one would go on to watch book two if it if it wasn't already like spectacular you know right um so yeah go go ahead so you alluded to this last episode, which um, when when Aang does reemerge into the real world, having gained the information that Twi and La, Push and Pull, are the names mm-hmm. of the fish, um, he is he has been captured by Zuko, and right. then they beat Zuko, and they're about to like leave him, and he's like, "No, dude, we gotta go back. We gotta help. Zuko. We gotta we bring just Zuko let him die of exposure." Um, <laughs> Which is, you know, kind of like following up on Blue Spirit. You know, we could have been friends. It's not his fault that he's right. doing this. Um, it's, I, I... You know, it works. In, in my memory, I didn't remember, because, like, they make it to this little cave, and Zuko's sort of, like, frustrated. It's like, I have the Avatar, but, you know, like, there's always something in my doing? way. You know, like, yeah. I'm in the middle of a fucking blizzard with no way of really in getting... In a war zone. Yeah. In a war zone with no real way of getting him back to the Fire Nation. But, like, fuck that, I'm going to survive, I'm a survivor. And, you know, he says the saddest line in the whole fucking show where he's like, my dad told me, uh, my sister, she was born lucky, and I was lucky to be born. Like, holy shit, dude, you know? Like, that's, <laughs> can you imagine your parents saying that to you? Like, ah, oh, you're, yeah. you're, your brother, he was born lucky. You're lucky you're fucking alive. Like, you're lucky I feed you. You know, like, what the heck? Um, and But but then we get yeah. this great line from him, and in my mind, Aang is always awake for this, but he's not, so... It, I, I don't know. I feel like there's some tension there, but you know, he, he's speechifying at him sort of revealing yeah. monologuing some of his internal, uh, internal life. Um, and he says, I don't need luck. I make my own. The struggle makes me who I am, which like, 
I think that's a really good character thesis on Zuko, you know, where he's this determined motherfucker who's, like, not gonna give in and it, like, has has understood at this point that his life is going to be struggle and suffering, but that, screw it, he's determined to live anyway. Which, like, that's intense, you know? like Big time. That's some big stuff. So, so Aang decides to take him back, um, and they they go they make it back to the spirit uh, oasis just in time for Iroh to also show up, but for Zhao yeah. to show up and kill the moon spirit. And then Iroh has the great line: "Whatever you do to that spirit, I'll unleash on you tenfold." <laughs> and it's just so like cool. I'm gonna fucking like curb stomp your ass if you hurt this spirit, uh, which he yeah. does anyway. And then basically runs away because Iroh, like, kicks all of his guards' asses in, like, <laughs> ten seconds. Um, yeah. And... Um, yeah, he kills the moon. Like, can yeah. you think of anything more badass? And then, like, it's just so mythic. Like, Yue well, literally he... picks up the dead corpse of the fish and is like, I, I'll give my... Well, well, I mean, Iroh's the one who identifies that Yue was blessed by the moon spirit. Right, um, but because she... Because her eyes are blue when everything her, else is black and white. One, her, her hair is white. Um, well, no, not in that scene, though. Because, like, the mm. whole point is it's all about colors. And it's all about visual symbolism. It's so much visual storytelling. Mm. So Iroh looks at her and she's like, you have blue eyes when everything else in this scene is in black and white. Is That's... that how he does it? Yeah, that's how he identifies the moon spirit power. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Um, and it only works in animation because when they do the live action movie, he's just like looks at her and he just like knows it because he gets, I guess he just knows it. <laughs> but I mean, like we've already seen like when Aang was in his spirit form before, like Iroh was able to see him flying around on the dragon when no one else was. So like we've already had proof that like Iroh has a greater connection to the spirit world than most people. Right, but I'm just saying we also get to see Aang on the dragon and right. we also get to see that Yue has blue eyes. Ah, so I see. It's it's visual storytelling for us, but it's also yeah, it's he's see, he's a very spiritual guy. Yeah. Um Yeah, um, but I mean just literally, like, a, a girl, like, blessed by the moon spirit gives her life to become the moon. It's so And that mythic. is the tragic parting of ways for these young lovers. Two lovers, and, yeah. Yeah, it's so fucking mythic, man. I, well, like, I know I keep overusing that word. <laughs> but, I mean, it is. And, like, that's the enjoyable... Like, I, I think that's the fun of a story like this, um, is that... It, there's something really awesome about experiencing something that feels mythic, that feels timeless, that feels so classic, but is this new version of it. Um, yeah, and, and it's, I think it's a, we are it's all a modern for that. take on all of these ancient cultural myths that that we've seen. I mean, like people becoming the moon, that is very Eastern. Right. And it's also, you know, very uh, sort of Native American as well. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't know. Very, very indigenous, indigenous sort of cultural peoples, yeah. myths. Yeah, for sure. Like, but I mean, like, even, even like, Greek myths, you know, like, there's gods of suns and, like, gods of natural phenomena. And, like, it makes sense right. that, like, like But it, this it isn't is. done in a particularly Western way, I feel. Sure, like, no, it's not. It's not. It's definitely... It, like, the Eastern. way that they do the moon and the, and the ocean picking mortal forms, but then also sort of embodying just the the ultimate power of these things and just the idea that like literally like humans 
watched the moon push and pull the oceans, and that's how they learned to bend the water to their will as well. Right. Like, Jesus, that's so cool. And just watch, next episode, we're going to completely <laughs> shit all over it with Korra. Oh, God. Oh, Korra. I'm so angry. Yeah, so keep in mind, these are the things that we like about the spirit world. We'll touch on them more next time, I guess. But let's let's wrap up. Uh, let's wrap up what happens to, to end this siege of the North. Yeah, so um, basically after the spirit gets killed, Aang gets pissed off in spirit spirit form and merges with uh, the ocean spirit and becomes the giant blue koi monster that sort of goes on a rampage and drives the Fire Nation back out uh, into the ocean and basically destroys all their ships. So, you know, some more definitely, like, dead people going on. Yeah, but in the there. Avatar state and also along with a, f- a fish monster That's the size of a fucking building that, you know, is really doing this out of revenge to take revenge for the death of its, you know, twin sister or whatever. Right. And, you know, you know like, as we'll, we'll learn um, early next season in Avatar, Aang has a lot of very conflicted feelings about the Avatar state. Um, so, right. you know, like, yeah. we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but so that happens. And then once the ocean spirit sees that uh, the moon spirit has been restored... Um, he basically spits Aang out and then goes back up to to his yeah. little oasis and uh, and that's yeah. it. But they not did before. It. Oh, but that's not right. before taking uh, Admiral Zhao with him into yeah. the spirit world as revenge. Yeah. Um, and Zuko, you know, despite his differences with Zhao, offers Zhao his hand. Right, because Zuko Zuko escapes uh, and is chasing after yeah. Zhao and is trying to. Like, it's fighting him, because he's like, you tried to have me killed, and Zhao's just like, yeah, so what? And they, like, fight about it. Um, yeah. But then, like, you know, we get another moment where here's Zuko being like Aang, where the same way Aang wouldn't leave Zuko to die, Zuko's like, listen, I'm mad at you, but, like, I don't want you to die by a spirit monster. Like, that's fucked up. And tries to yeah. save him, but, like, Zhao's, like, dies out of spite, basically, and is like, fuck you. Yeah. I'd rather meet it's, my maker. It's powerful. It's, like you said, it's so much stuff is happening in these two parts. There's so many subplots and everyone gets something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, like even the Han subplot is resolved, the Chad. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah, that's pretty funny. He just like barges onto Zhao's ship while he's talking with Iroh. Um, and, and this is where we learn that Zhao knows who the moon and ocean spirits are and that they have mortal forms and can be killed. And we find out that he learned yeah. it in a library, which will come back in season Foreshadowing. two. Um, and, and it's vague enough that it's like, maybe they have the library already planned, but maybe they don't. And they've just left themselves the right amount of room. I think they had it. a plan by this point. I'm yeah. pretty sure they did. It, um, but, it would be interesting to find out, but but so anyway, he, yeah. you know, he Zhao just basically chucks him over the side of the water, and like that's yeah, the last we just, ever see of him. Yeah, Chad shouts, "Admiral Choi, prepare to meet your fate!" <laughs> yeah, and then he just gets thrown. And there's off this, like this comedic splash, and Iroh just sort of like shakes his head, and and he's like, "Anyway, <laughs> as I was saying, yeah." Um, so, so yeah, th- there's funny bits in this episode too. There's a, yeah. a monkey that's funny. There's you know, the, you're not you know, just there's like just funny serious. things happening too. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like there's some moments where like you know when Aang comes back, 
uh, Zuko's like, from the spirit world, Zuko's like, welcome back. And Aang goes, good to be back. And then just like immediately like blows him over with an air blast, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like Zuko can't catch a fucking break. Um, yeah. And like Katara like knocks him out in 10 seconds after he's like, oh, I want a rematch. And like, there's like, there's some humor. Um, but so Zuko and Iroh sort of like managed to sneak out together on a boat. And, you know, Zuko's basically like, I, Iroh sort of expresses that he's like, oh, why aren't you trying to capture the Avatar? And Zuko's just like, I'm so fucking tired, man. And he's <laughs> and, like, yeah, you need your rest. Yeah. But but Iroh's sort of proud of him for not, for recognizing that he needs to work on himself a little bit, you know, and not just yeah. immediately chase after the Avatar again. Um, and, yeah. you know... Sokka tells Yue's dad, the chief, what happened, and he's like, yeah, I had a vision that this would happen, so, makes sense. I'm sad, but <laughs> it's alright. It makes sense. <laughs> um, and then, you know, they all, like, get together, like, Aang, Katara, and Sokka, and Appa and Momo, and they all look out into the horizon, like, hooray, and turns out Master Paku's gonna go back to the South Pole and help rebuild the South, and... It's it's great. Yeah, and Katara is now the waterbending master who's going to continue training Aang. Yeah. So. So we yeah. get that, a lot and of then good stuff. And it ends with um, you know, we see the Fire Lord, our first in present Fire Lord appearance. Uh, that's not a flashback, and we we see him talking to uh, what we presume Zuma. is Zuko's sister, who hasn't been named yet, has she? I believe I didn't. I thought he said. Azula, your brother Zuko has been oh maybe a failure, you know. I but, thought I thought it was something like that. But well, in any case, whether yeah. we know her name or not, we know that she is a Zuko's sister. Villain. She's a firebending prodigy, and she's gonna be sent after Zuko and Iroh, and it's it's very intimidating. Um, and that's where uh, yeah. and that's where we leave off. Yeah, it's just such an amazing se- season finale. Like it, it could have stood on its own. At this point, they weren't. They didn't know for sure that like the show was going to get picked up for a second season, or whether they'd be able to complete their trilogy. Right. Um, but they just had so many ideas, and they poured all their passion into this. Oh yeah. And you know, just to like watch for contrast, I I, I think it's actually worth checking out the the last Airbender movie because it's just fascinating how much they don't understand about what makes it work. Um, <laughs> Just you you had said something. They all the information. You had said something earlier about the fact that they did it in the wrong order. What's what is is there like a major event that's like out of order in in that? Just like a, every single plot point in this thing is is out of order. For, like first of all, you find out about like the moon spirit thing and Zhao at like the halfway point of the movie before we're even at the North Pole. Okay. Um, and it's just like something that he's casually talking to the Fire Lord about. Like, Weird. Fire Lord, uh, I found this secret writing that says we might be able to destroy the moon. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> and he's <laughs> and he's played by Asif Mafi from yeah, I the know. show. <laughs> oh, such a weird casting choice. <laughs> For so many well, I guess people. like Zhao is kind of comedic in some ways, but he's not really in this movie. But like he's not comedic because Zhao himself is funny. It's because like he's so committed to being like fucking badass that 
it's so easy to undermine that, you know, like right. it's the, the fascism takes itself too seriously thing. So it's easy to undermine right. when you make fun of it. Yeah. L- let us know if you guys want us to do like a full deep dive, uh, you know, recap of just the last airbender movie. Yeah. Um, that could be something, uh, it, it, there's some interesting shit in there. Like, first of all, like the spirit world is just like, a dream that he has where he talks to a dragon who tells oh, him not no. to hurt people. Oh no. Um, this is wild. I've never watched it, so I'd be fascinated. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah let... maybe we'll check it out. Maybe we'll do that next time, uh, in, you know, before we talk about Korra in, in the spirit world. And get into to season two of, of Avatar. Um, let us know. You can tweet at us at Talking Trope. Comment on uh, those posts wherever you see it. Please leave us a rating and review if you enjoyed. Um, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. On Avatar The Last Korra. Wait, who's Korra? Because <laughs> of the, because of the amnesia the, thing? Yeah, yeah. Never mind. All right, bye. Bye. bye.